Hi, I'm Sabrina and he's Marcus. And we are two of the founders of the Black Trail Runners. You can find us on Instagram at the Black Trail Runners. We're a community and campaigning group seeking to increase inclusion, participation and representation of black people in trail running. If something resonates with you, please let us know and share online. Also, leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it helps our podcast grow. Your support helps to make this podcast possible. Thank you for downloading this episode. Now, let's head to the conversation. The Checkpoint is supported by the North Face, whose fundamental mission remains unchanged since 1966, to provide the best gear for their athletes and the modern-day explorer, support the preservation of the outdoors, and inspire a global movement of exploration. Laura Gaga is a civil servant, a blogger and a writer from Northwest London. She's best known as the host of the All Right Raiders podcast and as a food waste activist. Laura is a trail and ultra runner and, like most runners, pays attention to what she eats. Her Reduction Raider Instagram account shares how she eats well for less and has thousands of followers. Laura has documented how she has saved tens of thousands of pounds over the last 10 years. Otherwise known as the yellow sticker gal, she shows it's possible to prepare tasty, nutritious meals without breaking the bank. And with the advent of food sharing apps such as Olio, she shows how we can prevent food going to waste and save money at the same time, effectively eating for free. Laura, welcome to the checkpoint. Oh, wow. I love that introduction. I mean, that's better than anything I would have said. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're, we're, we're really excited to have you. Now, we, we always start off the interviews by a kind of couple of icebreaker questions. So we're just going to throw some at you, Laura. Is that all right? Hoping yeah, that you I love haven't an icebreaker. Oh, yeah. Love, love a good icebreaker. So I'll kick off. You know, the Olympics has just finished. Oh. And, uh, you know, for two weeks, you know, I know I'm addicted. Um, did you watch it, number one? And number two, what was your favourite moment? <laughs> well, there's me saying I love an icebreaker and it's a terrible question because I've not <laughs> watched any of it. Like, <laughs> I'm really, do you know what? I'm really, really bad at watching sports. Um, I think sort of people often assume because I run that I take an avid interest, but I don't, you know, like I had a friend recently, a work friend emailed me and say, oh, you're watching the Olympics? And no, I've not watched any. I mean, the closest I really sort of, the most time I spent watching the Olympics was um, when Hussein Bolt was running. So, you know, yeah. I loved watching yeah and that's about it otherwise I have um yeah I'm just not a massive sports watcher yeah well that's all right yeah I mean I've been spending far too much time watching Love Island Sabrina oh don't (laughs) don't 
Oh, we will get into that later. We will. Give me the ultra runner in there. So that's my redeeming. Um, that's going to be my redeeming feature for not watching the Olympics. Well, what do you think then? There was been a, there's been a lot of conversation on uh, ultra running forums, etc. Or I've seen a couple of questions at least that talks about should you're an ultra runner, you're a trail runner, should ultra running be in the Olympics in Paris in three years' time? What do you reckon? I mean, yeah, I think it would be amazing. You know, you've got some phenomenal runners, and you know, an ultra running does take place on sort of competitive. You know, it does take place competitively, and obviously, you, you know, you do have sort of professional ultra runners. Um, but I don't know. I suppose my hesitation would be is that there's so much about sort of ultra running and trail running that's not about the competition. That's just yeah. about being in your environment, being with other people, connecting. You know, whether that's connecting with other runners or nature or being in that moment, uh, I suppose my fear would be if it was to happen on such a big scale, would some of that get lost? Yeah, yeah. You know, because I suppose, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think there's always the competition element, isn't there, you know, and... You know, I mean, you do get caught up in times. I know I definitely do. And even sort of watching the, um, you know, the lady that's uh, Priya, who's in Love Island, you know, as soon as she meets school, she did 100K in 12 hours. I was like, well, that's faster than me. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what I thought last night. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm a bit missed. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, but also what I love about it is the scenery, you know, eating, you know, food is such a huge part of ultra running and meeting other people. And, you know, and you can easily sort of lose four hours just running and chatting with a stranger. And so I think, you know, so I don't know, I sort of feel like that perhaps would be, you know, that's such the joy of ultra running and that might be lost um you know and I guess as well you know it could be so easy to do yourself an injury if you go off too fast yeah I'm just not convinced that it would make good tv really <laughs> so yeah, much about right. the Olympics is about <laughs> watching it right I mean how how interesting would it I, I don't know well, well well I say that but then I think Lots of runners actually just watch dots of other people running. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it would actually bring in viewers. I don't know. It's um, maybe it's worth an experiment. (laughs) I mean, even though I'm not sort of an avid sports watcher, I did watch um, the marathon. I forget what year it was when there was a guy that was about to pass out and another runner helped him along the finish line. Yeah. You know, and actually, I think that's the interesting part of running is, um, you know, it's a sort of human connection. So I think it would be interesting to watch if you could, like, zoom in and hear people's conversations along the trail. and Because you cover so many interesting things and I think you almost sort of find yourself perhaps having conversations with other runners that you wouldn't if you met that stranger in another forum. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe there's something about being in transition. Maybe there's the feeling of, you know, you might not see that person again, so it's sort of safe to speak freely. But I think there's so many interesting conversations that are had and, you know, and sort of so many moments of um, 
camaraderie and you know and helping one another out I think that would be the bits that would make good TV I think you're right Sonny just watching people run for sort of you know 12, 15, 24 hours um, (laughs) is probably going to be like watching paint dry but I think those moments would be incredible yeah that's interesting because it is there is a kind of uh, as you say a kind of camaraderie there's like it's a bit like the Olympic spirit, really. It's not yeah. It's not the competing, it's the taking part, right? So, yeah, I think that, well, I, I don't think they're going to do it, but, you know, it'd be interesting if they did. Um, so just to get a sense of how, how things are going in your life. So um, we're lucky in the UK where we've mostly been vaccinated and so we're able to travel around again um so have you actually been anywhere interesting since lockdown ended have you managed to travel anywhere well i mean i did actually go to dubai last september when we sort of had um you know some brief reprieve from the lockdown so i've not gone anywhere i've not gone abroad this year I did sort of waste about three hours of my life um looking into where's on the greens list and you know where can I travel to to do nothing but book staycations in the UK and yeah I don't know I suppose I feel quite split about it um I've had both my vaccinations so there's part of me that feels like oh yeah you know I'd love a holiday abroad and I'm seeing uh, I've seen people on social media going away and I'm thinking oh should I just do it and the other part of me is quite wary and sort of feeling like well what happens if I get stuck somewhere or what happens if I take a test and it's positive and maybe just stay closer to home I am I mean I'm getting itchy feet because I mean you know by this time ordinarily I would have been away and I had a holiday to Ghana booked in February that didn't go ahead. Um, I mean, it's sort of part of the reason as well. I mean, again, as well, they, you know, they was um, on the red list at that point and you just needed so many vaccinations because we were going to be sort of yeah. travelling as well. So so that didn't go ahead. So, yeah, so, I mean, at the moment, I've just got a couple of staycations booked. I'm going to Yorkshire at the weekend. I'm going to Glastonbury in um a week or so but I think we'll see how the land lies as the year goes out oh but that's fantastic I mean Yorkshire you can't get any better than that <laughs> no I know but you know what I'm not running <laughs> I, you know so I've got itchy feet in more ways than one so not only do I want a holiday but <laughs> running I've not really been running um I ran race to the king in June and you know, and had a couple of weeks of sort of complete rest. And then I came back to running and, you know, sort of my Achilles was sore. So I took some time off, came back again, you know, still hadn't eased up. And I've been to see a physio and I've got um, Achilles tendon dopathy, if I'm saying it right. Tendon, yeah, tendon dopathy, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got some physio exercises and, you know, and I'm doing other things like I'm doing quite a lot of hot yoga at the minute and I'm in the gym and, you know, and hopefully I can be back running again in the next few weeks. So I'm going to be very diligent with my physio exercise and he's giving me some skipping to do. I mean, only things like three lots of 45 seconds, but I'm excited to, I'm excited <laughs> <laughs> to do anything. <laughs> So we'll 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 come back to your running in a in a bit, I think. But um, I, I think I know the answer to this question. So um, 
You know what, Sunny? I was going to wait for this next question because she's already given a little indication of her Love Island uh, obsession, which she's a girl after my own heart because I'm totally obsessed this year as well. So I think we could be talking for a little bit about Love Island. So why don't we go to key main questions and then come back to Love Island? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I think that's probably wise. (laughs) So... So, Laura, let's let's talk a little bit about food, shall we? Yes, so, always. How how and when did you begin to take an interest in food waste and the kind of economics of food? Um, I mean, I started shopping in the way I do, which is buying food, just yellow sticker, food from the in the reduced crates in stores, which is you know reduced because it's on its best or used by day or just sometimes packaging is damaged or they want to clear shelves. I started shopping in that way around um, 2011, so about 10 years ago now. And to be honest, I mean, initially it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't because I was interested in food waste. It's, you know, a work friend of mine was bringing in all these foods for lunch with yellow stickers. And I said, oh, what's that? And I'd never come across them before. And he told me, you know, sort of how the stores reduce food. And I was just sort of seeing how much money he was saving. So I started following suit and looking out for yellow stickers. And I just got hugely excited by it because I couldn't believe how much the reductions were. You know, some of them um, on the final reductions were like 75 to 90 percent off and you know it could mean that I was spending a few pounds on like a 30 pound shop and I was on this massive high so I would like come back and I would work out how much it should have cost me compared to what it did and I would ring anyone that would listen and say oh I bought this and I bought that and bought this and you know I started sort of making meals with what I had and I guess it's sort of as time went on that you know it sort of just became I suppose um you know, the reality of actually how much food is set to waste, you know, even mm. if everything's bought in the yellow sticker crates, there's still a huge amount of food waste. I mean, globally, we waste a third of um, a third of the food produced. And so as sort of time went on, you know, I became more and more concerned about food waste and, you know, and just sort of making meals based on what I had and only, like, strictly only really shopping from... Um, yellow sticker craze, not buying things full price. Um, And then, like you mentioned in the intro, using apps like Olio, and I guess, you know, with time I started sort of recording it on my my Instagram account and, you know, and showing people what I was making with what I had. And and things just transitioned from there, really. I then started writing blogs for other people, so to go on other people's websites. Then I thought, okay, well, let me do my own blog. And then... uh, I started writing for a sustainability magazine called Be Kind and that went out of publication last year, but I then started writing for their sister magazine, Vegan Life um, magazine and, you know, because in amongst all of this, I then transitioned to um, being vegan a few years ago now and, yeah, and then the podcast sort of started and it just feels like it's been a bit of a domino effect. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's intriguing. Um... It's it's so intriguing to me. And being a mum of like four and a, a grandmother of two with my, my kind of third on the way, 
you know, I I feel as though sometime I'm at the kind of pinnacle of constantly telling my children and my grandchildren, come on, you know, finish your food, you know, let's not have any waste. Why? I mean, it might seem simple because you're in it all the time, but I think I know the reasons that any food waste that we waste as a family. But why, you know, what are the kind of the biggest kind of factors behind why do we waste so much food as a society? I mean, I think it's so multifaceted because I think you have what whatever happens on um, sort of a corporate level, you know, so uh, stuff that's wasted, perhaps um, sort of stuff that might not even make it to stores, you know, so uh, things like imperfect um, fruit and vegetables or, you know, sort of bread that is not the exact diet, you know, the exact sort of measurements that it should be. So I think you have stuff that doesn't even make it to store. I think, you know, um, you know, in the UK particularly, and I mean, you know, and in a lot of um, sort of first world countries, you know, we produce too much food, you know, so I think there's so much food mm. in supermarkets, in eateries as well. Um, I think what happens on individual basis Again, I think it's sort of multifaceted. I think, you know, we live in an age now where we're used to having whatever we want on demand. Um, so mm. I think, you know, so I think we've sort of almost got quite a disposable attitude. Um, mm. I mean, not just to food, but you know, sometimes to um, to everything. Yeah, to you know, to relationships, to. Um, you know, to friendships, to clothes, to sort of other material goods. So I think, you know, that we have this disposable attitude. And so I think often we can, um, you know, we sort of think to ourselves, well, I don't need to eat that because I can buy something else. Um, I think sometimes there's something about miseducation as well. So I think even things like knowing the difference between best before and use by dates and, you know, being clued up about how you store food, um, I think there's so I think there's so many things that are at, so many things that are at play. Um, but I think you know ultimately I think there's a disconnect. So I think there's a disconnect. Um, you know, on sort of individuals as consumers, and I think there's also a disconnect in terms of what happens on um, you know corporate um, sort of global governmental levels as well. That I think sort of. That we've almost lost sight of food being, you know, food is fuel. I mean, food is so many things other than fuel, but ultimately food is there to keep mm. us alive. You know, and I think that sort of we've become a bit disconnected from that as well. And I think, you know, and this idea that we can have whatever we want on tap, um, you know, and also I suppose for corporations that food is money. So, so I think that perhaps that... Um, you know, that perhaps we don't always see that actually, you know, there's how much food being wasted and how many people going hungry. Yeah. 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 It's 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 interesting, isn't it? Just thinking about that. I'm, I'm just kind of being reminded that it's not that long ago that we had rationing in the UK where clearly we didn't have enough food, um, you know, after the second world war and and well into the 1950s um you know we you know food was rationed so we seem to have gone totally in the other direction where there's just as you say too much of it um but 
you know what you know that feels extremely wasteful uh, given that you know there are still parts of the world where there isn't enough food um but one of the things that struck me uh, sort of on your account is that you it's not just about how you get food in supermarkets and things but also it involves people who are growing food um so you've got friends with uh kind of allotments or vegetable plots and i you know i was thinking about that today because i i do have some vegetables in my garden and i deliberately cooked dinner this evening that had vegetables from my own garden in it so i made my own bruschetta it's very nice with tomatoes um and 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 it was gorgeous um so you know i'm just wondering why you know if you think why do you think more people don't grow their own food because, I mean, it's so much nicer than the stuff you buy in the supermarket, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, firstly, I'm impressed as to how much research you've done, actually. So, um, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's impressive. Um, I guess, secondly, I suppose I can answer it from a, a first-hand perspective because, actually, I'm terrible at growing my own veg, you know, despite the fact that you know, I pick up so much food from friends and, like you said, you know, um, from food-sharing apps, and I do have friends that are growing their own food and and I'm growing a few things at the moment but to be honest with you Sunny it's a bit begrudging you know I'm only really growing <laughs> things because um because last year I don't know maybe friends see potential with me that I don't because you know I got sort of for my birthday I got a raspberry plant and I got you know chili pot and um sage and thyme and you know I've now got a tomato plant mm. so I'm getting all of these plants so I suppose because I've been gifted them I sort of feel like I've got to grow them although I'm really impressed I've got raspberries um so I think I mean from my point of view I suppose maybe it becomes um I suppose I'm I'm probably maybe a bit of a reluctant grower because I think I don't know if it's fear or you feel a bit insecure, you know, it's not something yeah. that, um, that I'm, it's, it's completely new to me. It's not something that I'm sort of skilled at doing. So, so I suppose, so yeah. I suppose I feel a bit intimidated by it. Um, yeah, and maybe that's the great thing about actually sort of, you know, being given plots, like plant pots as, um, presence because I feel obligated then to, you know, sort of keep them alive and, and grow them. But I think, yeah, I think he's feeling a bit daunted by it, you know, like, yeah. where do I start? What do I do? Have I got sort of the level of commitment? I mean, you know, it feels sort of, feels a bit ironic saying that given, uh, you know, I am an ultra runner, <laughs> to sort of question the commitment, but... <laughs> But, but I suppose maybe you question it because you're daunted by it. So we, so we're yeah. perhaps doing something that is um, that's new, that feels outside of your comfort zone. I yeah, it's kind so of the polar you. opposite, isn't it? Yeah. Of that kind of instant, instant gratification. Yeah. I, I'm totally. You know, I was thinking about this question as you were just. I'm. I was nodding away, and obviously you heard me saying yes because, you know, I. I feel daunted. I've never grown my own food. A lot of my friends have allotments. They talk about the zen of allotment keeping, the, the beauty and the deliciousness of, of eating their own vegetables and just like Sunny did tonight. And there's this tremendous, not only am I fearful about even what do I even start growing, but it's also... The pressure, you know, and as, as you said, Laura, being an ultra runner and, you know, running very, very long distances and the commitment and the planning and, and the testing and everything that I do for that. 
for some reason, it doesn't translate into me feeling any less fearful about growing my own food. So therefore, I just don't. I just <laughs> I just wait to be given it because, yeah, there is this what if it go, there is this fear? What if it goes wrong? What if it doesn't grow? Is it going to be something that I'm not going to be very good at? So kind of I'm not even going to try. I might as well just go to the supermarket and buy the vegetables or, you know, get some off my friends who have loads of spare veg from their allotments. What's the worst that could happen? I don't know. What's the worst that could happen is that I just put all of this, 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 these, I don't know, even though it's seeds, I'm so bad. I put these things into the ground and nothing happens. And, and I just don't know that I can deal with the heartbreak of that. So therefore, I don't even try. <laughs> Do you know what? It's a really good question because I remember actually when I signed up to, you know, when I started running, I always said, you know, I wouldn't run a marathon, you know, I wouldn't do it. And when, and I actually and I got persuaded by my sister to sign up to my first marathon. And, you know, and I had this real fear of it. And, you know, when I was started thinking, okay, and this is going to sound really sort of morbid, but I started thinking, all right, what's the worst that can happen? And I thought, well, the worst that can happen is I might die in this marathon, right? And then I sort of thought, like, you know, but I sort of thought, well, do you know what? There's, you know, there's worse ways to go. So it's almost like I had to sort of, I had to go into that sort of, that frame of mind of sort of thinking, okay, to almost sort of accepting that this is actually the worst that could happen. For, for, yeah. You know, to take away some of the fear of it as well. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You've inspired me to go out and plant, I don't know, a potato plant or something like that. Well, I think it's a bit late <laughs> in the year for that now. But, See, there um, you go. Maybe, maybe. This is it. You've just, you've just compounded my fear. I'd go out and pot, plant a potato plant and it would be the wrong time of year. <laughs> Do you know what, Sunny? You need to you, give yeah. Sabrina something because I think because that's what I found. I, found I do, it, yeah. You know, because I feel that's the thing oh. as well. When I think, like, you know, with a dear friend of mine, you know, um, who has got an allotment, we used to work together, and he would bring in so much stuff from his allotment. And I think because it came from his allotment, I knew that he grew it. I knew that he spent time on it. I felt really, you know, I wouldn't have ever thrown it away. I sort of felt really obligated to make something with it, you know. And um, and mm. even if it was like one year, I had twelve pumpkins from him. So even if I was sharing it out with people, this food had to go somewhere, you know, because I just thought, well, I can't yeah. throw away Andy's pumpkin, you know. It suddenly become personal. <laughs> yeah, and and one of the things I find about growing food is that unlike ultra running or running in general, you actually get out more than you put in. So, like, you know, if you're training to run, if you know, if you don't do the training, you don't do the work, then your running is not going to work. It's 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 going to be not fun. But plants grow themselves. Uh... I mean, you li- you know, I can literally get up in the morning and go out and things have grown since I went to bed without me doing anything at all. Um, so it, it's, it's a really satisfying thing and it, it's a way of, um, you know, see it's, it's, you see progress and you see the kind of natural order of things without actually having to do that much really. Um, you know, I think, Yes, there are gardening programs and there's YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And you can do complicated things. But, you know, things like tomatoes and 
potatoes, they're dead easy to grow. Stick them in, give them some water, and they're fine. Okay, okay, no, you sure. are. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am feeling inspired. <laughs> I am feeling inspired. So I don't know. Let's watch this space. Well, in t- talking about inspiration, then I mean, I wanna, I wanna put myself in the in the space of Laura. Tell me, or, or give me an idea of what does a, a typical week, I mean, your weeks might not be typical, but if, if there was a typical week for you, what does your food shopping and cooking look like over seven days? Oh, I love this question. Um, okay, so a typical week. So a typical week, I would do collections using food waste, using that food waste app, Oleo. So um, yeah. Maybe a couple of times a week, I might go and um, collect food from Food Waste Heroes that have listed it on the app, and that might just be stuff that they've got in their kitchens that they want to get rid of, or they may have gone somewhere like Tesco's and Prayer and done a collection and we'd be redistributing it on the app. Um, So a couple of times I'll do that. I'm... You know, so I, maybe I would sort of say go into stores a couple of times a week. Um, it's actually been less in recent weeks. I think just sort of I've had car trouble and sort of juggling being back in the office. Um, but so I suppose, you know, and if I'm in the store, I'm always looking in the reduced section. And that could be yeah. a supermarket or that might even just be my local petrol station, you know, because I've not been going sort of too far afield with um, – with sort of car problems, but anywhere I am, I will look in a reduced section, so I'm looking for reduced food. And then I guess an average sort of week in terms of food is um, just sort of looking at what it is that I have. So that's always my starting point is what do I have? Um, Mm. And like, all right, so today I've been working and sort of what do they look like food-wise was um, I started with muesli, you know, I didn't have any dairy-free milk, so I was thinking, all right, what am I going to do with this muesli? So I soaked it with water and added raspberries in it, and, you know, so it was really nice, actually. It just ends up being a bit like sort of um, overnight oats. And then, yeah. you know, mm. and then again, sort of um, for snacks, I had things like I had some clementines that I'd got reduced. I had um, sweet and salty popcorn I got reduced. Lunch again was sort of based on what I had, and that was um, some falafels in a couple of bread rolls. All of that I picked up for free. Dinner's gonna be I made the dish um, with sweet potato, it's got mushrooms in it, it's got pak choy, some spring onions, and I'm gonna have that served with rice. All of that's reduced. I'm actually thinking that I'm gonna um, make some rotis to go with it and I'll just make those using um flour and water I eat a lot of leftovers so whatever I cook I will have for um leftovers the following day so I guess an average week is really sort of my starting point is what do I have and what can I make based on what I have and I love that that is that is a way to be rather than thinking what can I go out and and you know what can I go out and add more of in my cupboard or in my fridge 
like just look at what you actually have got because it's amazing what can be produced from quite simple ingredients completely you know when I mean and that is how I would have cooked previously because I think it's sort of how most of us cook you know you sort of think I don't know like I want to make um a spaghetti bolognese so you go out and buy the ingredient that you need to make yeah. that spaghetti bolognese whereas you know sort of over the years my starting point will be what do I have and you know and I'll do little things like I'll sort of um I'll google just what I have you know so if I'm sort of thinking about ideas like with the um like having the sweet potatoes I might just google sweet potato mushrooms and pak choy and see what comes up and yeah if I've got something that comes to mind I remember you know a while ago I was making um I wanted to make jell-off and I'm not sure what prompted me wanting to make it but I did but I had no rice but I had risotto rice. And I was thinking, well, do you know what? Why can't I do jello risotto? And if I sort of think, okay, you know, I've got that in mind, I'll just Google it and you'll be surprised. I don't know that there's anything that you could look up that is completely original. It's been done somewhere, you know? Yeah. So so you can sort of look up things that are obscure. And you might not have the exact thing, but you'll have enough of a guide to get you on your way or to almost just give you a little bit of reassurance. Yeah, you know, sounds, I mean, it sounds like you you have a really kind of varied diet from this. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that um, if you went on MasterChef, you would absolutely ace the uh, round, which is the, you know, where you have to kind of, in the invention round, uh, where they just give you some ingredients and you have to come up with something. <laughs> And you know what? That's another. I'm like, I never actually watched. I know this is embarrassing now because people are going to get an insight into um, the brain dead things that I watch <laughs> because I don't ever actually watch MasterChef. I probably should do for the inventive side. And, um, but yeah, I think sometimes, it's, and that's what I love about like shopping in a reduced style and getting stuff to feel a sticker or just sort of thinking about what you can do with what you have is because, you know. You, like you said, you just have such a diverse range of meals and you eat things that are new and, you know, and that will then give you the confidence to try something else or sort of, you know, because I think as well, you know, like Sabrina, when you asked earlier about um, why do we waste food, I think sometimes we sort of get governed by, well, you know, you have to make things this way because um, – that's how it's always been done, or this is what the recipe says. And I think, you know, like I remember Mm. having this sort of, um, there was tension with my sister and I, shall we say, because we'd um, got this yellow sticky yam and she was saying, you know, we need tomatoes, we've got to go to the shop and get shop tomatoes because we were saying we're going to make a few with it. And I was saying, I'm not going to the shop to buy no tomatoes. She was at my house and I said, I've got reduced um, coconut milk. You know, when it's sort of she's very upset, you can see her face because obviously that's what she would have always done, you know. But mm. you know, she's in my house and we'll do what I do. And you know, and we used the coconut milk and you know, and she was pleasantly surprised because it tasted really good. And I I think sometimes and actually like now she'll what say to me, Oh, you know, I sort of just made use of what I have. And and I think that's the great thing as well. And I think and actually when you then talk to other people you can bounce ideas off one another as well. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really creative. I I, I really like that about it because uh, I don't think people are creative enough, really, 
in the And I think the thing is as well, you know, we, we have so much information actually at our fingertips, you know, like, you know, you don't even really need recipe books anymore, you know, you, there's so many things online, you know, we've got social media, you know, like Google, there's, there's so much that you can find and, um, and somebody asked me recently, I forget who, but somebody said to me, oh, you know, like as a child, was you made to finish, I think it was somebody at work, they said, was you made to finish everything that was on your plate? And I was saying no, you know, like quite the opposite. Like actually as a child, I was an extremely fussy eater, you know, like, so, so I think sort of just for an easier life, my mum would let me eat what I wanted as and when I wanted, you know, if I wanted to have <laughs> dessert before dinner, I was allowed to do that, you know, so they, I didn't really have sort of strict food rules, you know, um, you know, I was sort of living off like processed foods and takeouts and, you know, and went into my 20s, I was, you know, I can't cook, won't cook and actually like quite a fussy eater. So it's, um, so it's not even like I'm somebody that's naturally creative. It's, um, I suppose I just faint the yellow stickers for it really, because actually when I then started buying mm. things, I think, oh, well, you know, like, well, what can I make? with this and I'd start looking at recipes and sort of getting ideas or, you know, suddenly if I saw something like I'd never tried radishes, but suddenly when they were tempe and reduced cray, I think, right, okay, you know, I'm going to give them a go. And, and I was trying all sorts of foods that I never would have before. And yeah, and it's sort of surreal to sort of think about where I was then and, you know, my attitudes to food now. Mm. I mean, I mean, what you've mentioned there about, you know, using everything we've got and, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, in your earlier years kind of living on takeaways and stuff like that. I'm, I'm interested about how you think that may or may not have changed during the kind of last 18 months during the pandemic and stuff, because I've kind of noticed that, um, you know, on the one hand, food delivery seems to have taken off. So, you know, if someone had said, you know, that you could order food from McDonald's and they would bring it to you two years ago, we would have probably laughed, but that seems to be accepted now. And, you know, I go through my local town centre and there's just a, a row of young lads on sc scooters, you know, waiting to take food to people. And I see people getting, you know, deliveries of pizza, you know, at lunchtime. <laughs> and I think, you know, what, how, how are you getting, why are you getting takeout, at, you know, in the middle of the day? Um, so there's a lot of that going on. But then at the other hand, we've had periods where there hasn't been enough food on the supermarket shelves. Uh, you know, we seem to have some of that now where, you know, there's some of the staples that we expect to be there just aren't there. So I'm just wondering what you think about how the pandemic has kind of a has it has it changed our kind of eating habits do you think oh, well I think what you speak to there is actually how symbolic food is you know and sort of how many meanings are attached to food because I think even you know sort of the early part of the early on in the pandemic and you know as we were going to lockdown and you see this panic buying you know actually the panic buying is not really 
in my opinion, about a real need for food. It's about a need to feel safe and secure. And, yes. you know, and, and we're almost in a position where you have to hanker down and you, you want to be okay. And, and it's something that you can suddenly control. We're suddenly in this situation where there's so much that's unknown. There's so much outside of our control. But, you know, buying food, stocking up, we can do that. You know, we can make sure we'll be all right in our house. And, you know, so I yeah. think that spoke to that. And, and, you know, and as you were talk, describing the takeaways, I wondered as well, sort of, you know, suddenly we was in this position where, you know, many of us were working from home. That, you know, you couldn't travel. There was very little that you could do on a social basis. Actually, I think things like you know, having food delivered, it, um perhaps excitement it injected some joy you know it gave you something to look forward to and you know and actually I remember even sort of going for walks with friends you know our drink would be a big feature of of that you know so it would be like oh right let's go for a walk and let's bring a cup of tea and you know and I think the other thing that happened with the pandemic is actually a lot of people making their own food and that would be happening on walks as well you know a friend would say oh I've made these muffins, I'm going to bring them. And I'd say, all right, well, I've got some cakes, I'll bring those. And, you know, and I think as things started to relax, doing things like um, going for a long walk and taking a picnic and, you know, so I I think food is social, food is, um, you know, I mean, it's so sort of interlinked with our feelings, our well-being. Um, I think for me, sort of personally, I I suppose the things that happen is that I was working from home. So I was using the app Olio far more. It actually felt amazing to be doing that because they had these like non-contact collections. So I could just go and collect food off somebody's like doorstep or they might have left it in um, a basket outside. I didn't have to be queuing up as much to go into the supermarkets or sort of be surrounded by people. It gave me purpose as well to get up and go and for a walk, you know, so it sort of meant, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to go out for a walk and, you know, and I was at home so I had more time to do that. Um, you know, I was making things that perhaps I might not have done ordinarily because I think again like you said you know you have to space and time to do it actually um sort of last year I think it was for us I did four months of no food shopping and it went on I think it started from um started actually when I came back from Dubai so it must have been um yeah it was in September because it was September October November so it was the end of August September because it went into sort of December and I stopped it just as we were going into Christmas and you know, and I think that sort of spoke to actually how much food we already have, how much you can make when you mm. stick it back to basics, you know, how much is available. I think even with things like Olio, you suddenly had businesses that needed to sort of stop very suddenly. So I guess there was, you know, food from um, businesses that was being distributed on the app, Um And I think the thing that happened for me personally as well, you know, I, my mum was shielding, um, you know, and and as mums can be around the time where sort of, you know, the NHS were offering volunteers, my mum said, no, 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 I won't have a volunteer. <laughs> my daughter will sort out my food shopping. Um, so, you know, but also what was really interesting was actually seeing her attitudes to sort of food waste change. Because before all of that happened, 
you know, my mum can spend a fortune on food. She's not one. She's not one that cooks, so she she will get a lot of stuff that's processed, ready meals, you know, things that are easy mm. to do. And she'll spend an absolute fortune. And before the pandemic, I'd say, "Oh, mum, get this. This is reduced. And why don't you have this?" And she said, "I don't like reduced food." And there'd be no sort of real thinking <laughs> or like all sort of exploration into it. It'd just be like, oh, "I don't like that reduced food." But suddenly, when I was sort of going to collect stuff off, um, only and perhaps saying, oh, I've got, you know, there's these sandwiches from Frank, you want them? Or when I was going to the store and picking up stuff that was reduced, over time she'd say, oh, can you get me X, Y, and Z? And can you get me anything that's reduced? You know, and now I see her go, like now she's sort of back to doing her own shopping. And now she'll say, oh, you know, come and get this. I bought this reduced for you. And, um, you know, so, so it's been really interesting to actually see people's, Attitudes change as well, you know. I think sort of a na- as a nation, I mean, we sort of probably baked more banana bread than, um, than <laughs> ever before. So, yeah, so I, I think there's probably been so many, so many changes. Um, but it's interesting how, you know, what you've said about how food represents different things because, you know, I – you know, we all, you know, all three of us, you know, we've run ultras and, you know, food in that situation is fuel, right? And it's, and it's also about just kind of just making you feel better and more energized. Um, You know, I, I kind of have memories of particular meals or pieces of food. You know, I can remember, you know, the taste of a you know, glorious kind of uh, mousse in a fancy restaurant somewhere. But I can actually really remember the taste of a cup of soup on an aid station on the Thames bath in the middle of the night because it felt like the best thing I'd ever had because I just needed it. And in different circumstances, food represents and feels like different things. And, you know, it, there is a big psychological aspect to you know, what we consider to be, you know, great food uh, and what, what we like to eat. So it, it, you know, I find it really fascinating that, you know, you, you clearly, you know, have got into a mindset where the fact that something's been reduced doesn't matter in terms of the quality of the food. And actually it kind of is a sign of, sign of kind of virtue, if you like, uh, with, with the food. Uh, that you're using stuff that wouldn't otherwise get used, uh, and that that's a really great position to be in, I think. And I think you know, and I think for me, I've gained so much, I, you know. And I think so. I think initially, when you're sort of thinking, oh well, you know what? Yeah, this is great. I'm going to save money, but actually, the gains have been so much more than that. You know, it's sort of. Um, It got me cooking, it got me being creative with food, you know, it sort of sparked off an interest in food ways, you know, it sort of opened up opportunities with like writing the articles and doing the podcast and, um, you know, and so I I suppose... And it seems to have, yeah, and it kind of seems to have helped with kind of developing relationships with people as well, that kind of connection with people through food in a way that you don't get when you're just kind of buying 
kind of ready-made stuff from the supermarket. And you know what, something food is actually sort of, you know, I've really come to realise that food is my la- love language, you know, and actually I think, you know, for me, <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> but I mean, it really is. The food food is how I receive care and it's also how I, how I give it as well. So, um, yeah, and I suppose, you know, thinking about, you know, even by sort of way of, you know, being responsible for my mum's sort of food, you know, as we went into um, lockdown, it suddenly meant, you know, that we spent far more time together than what we would have ordinarily, you know, and and even though we live really close to one another, I think just the fact that I was working from home and, uh, you know, at lunchtime I could just pop over and drop her something off and, you know, and I wouldn't have been doing that before. And I think, yeah, I, I think sort of, you know, food definitely is sort of my love language. And, you know, and I think, you know, and a lot of people have gone through such a difficult time as well for, you know, sort of, I think not just with um, sort of the pandemic and lockdown, but I think it brings other issues to light, sort of, you know, the quality of our relationship, you know, our mental health and, you know, so I think, so, you know, I've had people in my circle that have gone through such a difficult time and sometimes you can feel really helpless. But actually, things that I can do is make somebody a meal, is say, you know, um, let's eat together, is for me to say, well, do you know what, I've got this, I'm not going to use it, you have it. And, you know, mm. and actually, you know, food connects us all. We All of us have a relationship with food in one form or another. Yeah, that's true. All, I love that, I love that line. <laughs> I love that line that you used uh, because I love food. I mean, I love food. That food is your love language because I, I just think I, you know I've read various books about you know the different languages of love, etc. And 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 I love so I love that line. And what I loved about what you said, uh, going back to when you were talking about your mum and talking about kind of you know kind of at the beginning of lockdown and you know like almost like that that phrase of like reduced food kind of almost put her off because I think that you know there is this I don't know whether it's a, a, a I don't know whether it's a demographic thing or whether it's a cultural thing and I'd like to ask you that question is you know even in this this chat that we've been having for the past 50 minutes you know I've already kind of learned so much about that I can start applying tomorrow by kind of going to my local supermarket and kind of looking at the yellow sticker compartment uh, area shelving system that I barely ever go near because I guess in my life I was brought up you know we didn't have much money so we would just all always always buy the cheap food you know, me and my friends always talk about, you know, when Iceland's used to do like 20 little pizzas for a pound, you know, and and, and we were like bought up on that stuff. But do you think the what do you think the reason is that not more, so many more people do what you do? Do you think it's a cultural thing? Is it a, a lived experience thing? What do you think stops people living this way or stops people buying food or looking for food in that way? I think, like you said, I think culture definitely plays a part. Um, you know, I, and I suppose uh, and I suppose with culture is, we, we human beings, we want to be in groups, don't we? You know, we want to belong. And so I suppose maybe there's almost like, like recently we went out for a family meal 
and you know we went for an Indian I love an Indian and I get all excited and order all this food and you know so there was loads of food left over and I was saying well it's all right we'll take doggy bags and that'll be like you know I'll have that I'll eat that tomorrow and whatnot and my nephew who's um sort of mid-20s he was saying I wouldn't have the confidence if I, you know, to ask for a doggy bag. And I'd never actually sort of thought about it in that way before, because to me, it's just a given, you know, that you would ask for a doggy bag. And, you know, and when I've been on holiday in the States, you know, a lot of places I've eaten that, you wouldn't even have to ask for a doggy bag. You know, they have that sort of culture in hospitality of whatever you can't finish, you know, you pack up to take away. Um, and I suppose I'm thinking about, you know, what my nephew's describing is being with his friends where perhaps, you know, when you're a bit younger, image is important. I think, you know, yeah. in, in Western societies, we get sort of very caught up with material goods. You know, wealth becomes, um, you know, it's an indicator of success and um, sort of and being established as well. So I think that perhaps, you know, we don't want to be sort of looked down upon or we don't want to um, be seen as needing something. Um, yeah, so I, so I think, and then I also I do sort of think that sometimes maybe there's a bit of a fear as well around, um, you know, perhaps this will make me ill or, you know, or that can't mm-hmm. be sort of, trusted um and i think sometimes we almost need to sort of challenge these beliefs and views as well um because actually i think sort of stopping in the reduced crowd can really bring people together you know like i know with my social circle it's been sort of you know oh look what i've got and you know and i've got this and you've got that and we can bring this to together and you know and actually it can be sort of something really great in terms of sharing and connecting Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. But what I've seen, Laura, maybe it's where I live in this small rural market town. But God, when that those yellow stickers get loaded into that re- those reduced shelves, there are elbows barging people out the way. There are hands. There are hair being pulled. It's you know, it's a scary place to be. I I st- I sit back and wait for. I guess I'm waiting. All the good stuff's gone by the time I get there because I'm freaked out because of the amount of people there. But maybe that's yeah, just absolutely. where I live. No, no, you, uh, you know, you do see that happen and you do see it happen across London. And I think, you know, and obviously it can be really intimidating. And I think, you know, you do have people that are sort of waiting on it on a um, regular basis yeah. and perhaps also sort of get caught up in the um, frenzy of it all. Um yeah. So, yeah, so I think that is definitely, um, that definitely is an issue, you know, and I, you know, I haven't really got sort of a quick fire solution no. to that. Um, yeah, I guess there's, there's a difference, isn't there, between choosing to do it and feeling like you have to do it because yeah. you can't afford to not do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that's another issue about our society, I think. But, um I'm conscious that we um, that this is a this is a running podcast, and we haven't really <laughs> spoken about running that much. Um, so um, I'd be interested to, and I'm sure our listeners would be interested to uh, just hear a bit about your running and how how you got into it, and uh, yeah, when when and how did you start running? So I mean. You know what? I well, I used to run at school, so I used to run the hundred hundred meters at school. Um, 
you know, when it came to sort of sports day. But to be honest, not really because I had an interest in running, just because, you know, I was more interested in things like sort of netball and, you know, actually I was probably a better runner than what I was a netball player. But I didn't really appreciate running back then. You know, I was just sort of naturally quite fast or I would show up on sports day and take part and, you know, go about my business. And, and then I guess sort of over the years, I always did some form of exercise, but I suppose it would usually be in, you know, going to the gym, doing classes. Um, and then it was my sister, actually. So my sister, had, you know, my sister's a runner and she'd run um, on and off over the years. And so whenever we, we were together, this was perhaps, um, this was maybe again sort of about, you know, 2010, 2011. It actually probably coincided with me. Um, shopping yellow stickers, she would say, well, let's go out for a run. And so I'd go with her. And, you know, to be honest, at the beginning, I thought, oh, this is great. It's a really easy way of losing weight. And, um, you know, but I think sort of then it was like, well, you know, it was it was something I could do in and around work. I could get up in the morning, you know, sort of being in an office job as well. It meant it was time that I was outside. And, you know, and at that point, I wasn't really yeah. training for anything. I wasn't following the plans. So if I had a spare half hour, I'd run for half hour. If I had a 90 minutes, I'd run for 90 minutes. And, and then I just sort of really took to it. I loved it. You know, I could be out listening in my own time, like – was space to clear my head, sort of, you know, like I said, time outside. And then I sort of thought, oh, you know what, I'm really liking this. So let me sign up to a race to keep me going. And I signed up to my first 10K and then I signed up to my first um, half marathon. And, you know, I remember feeling really nervous, signed up to my first half and, you know, and I was running for a few years. And I used to smoke back then as well, actually. Like, I've... um wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I used to turn up for these races with a fag in my hand, you know? Like, I've now not smoked <laughs> for... Uh, I, yeah. You, you, remind me, you remind me of the, the first time I ran the London Marathon. And, um, you know, I was a very kind of, you know, novice runner. And I kind of came over the line and was handed my bag and I was like this is really heavy I'm shattered I really don't want this bag I just need to lie down and I lied down on a kind of grass mound somewhere on the mall and there was a guy like lied laying down next to me and the first thing he did after lying down was to light up a cigarette and I thought that was actually quite classy at the time to be able to do that <laughs> oh I know so I'm, was... I'm actually I'm actually quite impressed that you can run and smoke because I couldn't I couldn't do that <laughs> No, I mean, it's not, it's not something that I would recommend, you know, it's definitely not something that I recommend, and, you know, and actually got to, um, so I stopped smoking in 2013, and and my sister was, you know, sort of set on this idea of running a marathon, and like I said, I, you know, I was not really sure about this, and she was, you know, like a dog with a bone and and at the time she suggested it so she suggested that we did it the following year so for 2014 and then I sort of thought to myself okay you know I've stopped smoking and it's one thing sort of smoking and running half marathons it's another thing to be smoking and training for a marathon and you know and that will sort of give me incentive to stay off the fags and you know and I yeah and I ran a marathon and I would both run a marathon Loch Ness and and if I'm honest I mean you know there were some spectacular moments you know like sort of it's a gorgeous route um but you know as with a lot of people the last six miles you know was really hard physically <laughs> and, and mentally yeah. and you know and I finished and it was a bit of an anti-climax and I sort of thought well, what do I do now and 
you know, and I, you know, it's not like I finished it and sort of thought, right, I want to run another marathon. But I mean, my sister didn't sign up for Florence, and I suppose this is the thing about being the, you know, sort of younger sister as well. You then fully roll the sister around, so I sort of thought, well you know, she's going to go to Florence and I'm going to be really jealous and, you know, and and I went <laughs> and I had, a, <laughs> I had an amazing marathon actually. So, um, so it was really good. It sort of made up for Loch Ness and then I got a good phrase and I run London. And I guess these things didn't just like snowball, you know, and I had, I'd always sort of had, um, I'd always actually quite fantasised about running ultras. You know, I'd listen to podcasts and people talking about running ultras and, you know, it's something that really seemed like quite magical about them. And I suppose because it's, you know, it's something that I never imagined that I would do. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, sort of eventually did, I guess, you know, running long enough and, you know, and I've done a few marathons and, you know, and done a lot of other distances and, and was slowing down, you know, I wasn't getting any faster. So I sort of thought, right, well, if I'm not getting any faster, I might as well go further. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, I signed up for like my first. You, my... you and me both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I signed up for my first ultra, and actually, my first ultra was um, last August. You know, so I um, so actually it worked out really well because you know I was able to sort of train um, in lockdown, and to be honest, trained in like a really quite relaxed way because I kept sort of thinking, well, you know, the race isn't going to go ahead, and but I better keep training in case it does, and you know, soon panicked when <laughs> sort of a couple of weeks beforehand when they said, you know, we've got every intention of going ahead and <laughs> they did and I did and, you know, and loved it and loved it. And, I, you know, and I guess, you know, you can definitely testify to this, Sonny. I think sort of then once you do it, it's the next goal, you know, and you want to go further and well, what else can I do? And I suppose there's something in being able to see what is it that you're capable of, you know, how far can you go? Mm. Absolutely. What I'm just kind of sitting back and listening to you, and I, I love I can hear the passion in your voice for for your running and and you know and ultra running and you know your first kind of race being last year. What as a black woman in now you know a black ultra runner, what what's been your experience of that? Um, how has how has it been out there for you um yeah yeah I mean we talk about you know what we what our lived experiences personally as black trail runners are but but what's been your experience you know what it's really interesting actually because um you know, I've got a running coach who writes my running programs and, you know, and I met with him for a coffee actually earlier today at lunchtime and, you know, and I said that I was going to be on a podcast and, you know, and he said, you know, there's so few um, black trail runners, you know, and actually, you know, and he was sort of saying to me as well, and, you know, I'm training for a multi-day, um, well, we'll be training for a multi-day event next year and, and, you know, we're part of a WhatsApp group and he was saying to me, you know, you should share when a podcast comes out, share it on the group, you know, because there's, um, you know, there's going to be so few black runners there. And actually, do you know what? I don't really know, you know, like, I don't really know many black runners at all. Do you know? I suppose I'm yeah. thinking there's, there's my sister, you know, and then, you know, and there's now you guys. But actually, I don't really know anybody. And it's... um. 
Yeah, and I suppose it's it's surreal, really, because, um, I mean, it's just really interesting because I guess it's only when it's sort of really spoken about that um, it really sort of hits home that you're in a minority. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I follow the Fly Girl Collective, but I've never done any runs with them. I did, they did like the skipping rope challenge in lockdown and I took part in that and um yeah and it's and you know what i think it's sort of it's almost i think we're running even though like we've spoken about um you know the connections that you can make on trails and running with people and the conversations mm-hmm. actually running is a really solitary um activity you know so i suppose and even though i have been part of running clubs i am somebody that tends to do a lot of my training by myself you know i might do the odd yeah. run with a friend actually i do a lot of running on my own you know sort of in races i think especially when you're um you know i think i've only really got plenty of people because you know doing ultras you sort of thinking well i've got hours to pass so i think that actually <laughs> when you're um, <laughs> sort of for distances that are fewer than that like a sort of a less than that you spend so much time on your road it hadn't you know that i was almost sort of a bit ignorant that yeah. i was um in the minority and you know so i suppose so I think, unfortunately, that I suppose that almost like my experiences, I become more conscious of it when there's something that you need to be acutely aware of, if that makes sense. You know, suddenly mm-hmm. when it's pointed out, yeah. well, actually, you know, you are going to be the minority in this WhatsApp group. You are the minority when it comes to this um event um you know that suddenly I suppose when you're having to sort of think about things like your personal safety you know and yeah. uh, um and on so many different levels as well you know so uh, being a person that is alone being a woman you know you know yeah. being a person of color you know yeah completely completely you know and even things like um you know, a few years ago, a friend and I were um, had booked a holiday to go to Montenegro. And, you know, and a black male friend of mine, he's not a runner, but he said to me, oh, what are you going to Montenegro for? You know, it's really racist out there and what are you thinking? And I hadn't really thought about it. Again, I was sort of a bit oblivious to it. You know, and when I'm on holiday, I run. And suddenly you're, you know, suddenly you're conscious of these things as well and having to sort of be mindful of... Um, your personal safety and yeah and I mean I, I don't know if that really answers your question um no I think it does yeah I mean I think it does I think that you've mentioned a lot there you know and and we're so similar you know in terms of our running you know I'm a solitary runner I think mainly because a lot of the people that surround me don't tend to do the type of training that I do when I'm in like an ultra training block so you know, and and I think Sunny and I have Sunny certainly spoke about it before. You know, when before we kind of knew each other, or before Black Trail Runners was created, you know, you'd be in a race, and of course, you'd look around and you don't see other black people. But I always believed, as 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 I think Sunny did as well. Oh well, they're probably ahead of me. You know, the the people like me are probably ahead of me, or maybe they're behind me. But I kind of you went through years of thinking I can't just be the only one surely and and I think when I realized that I actually was was the time where I where I was like 
okay, I need to find, I need for my soul to find other people if they are out there. And I hoped and prayed they would be, and they are out there. Well, I, I think sort of, you know, just listening to you talk, it just sort of made me think, and I think, actually, I think the sad thing is I'm so used to being in a minority that actually that's almost become the norm, if that makes sense. You yes. know, like... Yeah, growing up, it absolutely I, does. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a predominantly white area, you know, like at my school. Yeah. You know, you could count the number of um, mixed-race black people. You know, if you saw a black person, yeah. you didn't know. You'd be thinking, who were they? You know, because you recognise everybody. <laughs> yeah. and it's, um, you yeah. know, and so wherever it's been in school, it's been in the area, it's been in the workplace, that actually sort of, you know, there's something about being, you know, the minority when it comes to running, that actually is just sort of a window into other areas of my life. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm so with you on that. It, you know, and just like you said, it's only when you you're made to stop and think, or your life is is is, is or safety is threatened in some way, or. Or, you know, like last year with, you know, Ahmoud Arbery being murdered while he was out oh, on a run and, and, and global, you know, the global kind of uprising around Ahmoud, around Brianna, around George, that you stop and think oh. and you look at areas of your life, don't you? And you think, actually, you know, how, you know, how does this impact upon me in my space and where I am in every aspect of of my lived experience but you're absolutely right in terms of you get so used to if you inhabit those spaces where you are in such a minority it 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 just is isn't it for you until it's right there in front of you that uh, uh, this yeah. kind of isn't yeah and do you and know what, what's interesting sorry it, it is, but it's but what what's also interesting, and I think we we experienced this, you and I, Sabrina, definitely a couple of weeks ago, is when you see what it could be like, uh, and the contrast. Uh, so, uh, you know, Laura, you you might not have seen this, but um, uh, one of our one of our friends, Dora, who was one of our original members of Black Trail Runners, uh, she worked with Maverick. Uh, trail races to put on a race which was aimed very specifically at uh, people of colour uh, and women of colour specifically. I did and, see, I saw uh, it on Instagram and I follow Adora actually. Yeah, so we, we went down there uh, as one of a number of different crews and it just felt like an entirely different experience on the trails and it was such a contrast uh with the normal experience on the trails that it made you realize that normal wasn't really normal if that makes sense you know Ooh. normal wasn't how things have to be uh and that we just become accustomed to them and as you say Ooh. you know i you know i you know and i know this is true for sabrina as well you know we've we've grown up in a uh, in a in a period uh, and in environments where we've always been the only one, um, yeah, and that's just uh, become our that's just become our normal, and it makes such a difference when that's not the case. When you can turn around and there's people who share the same experiences as you, who look like you, uh, who think 
similarly to you in the you know about you know some fairly major issues um and it just felt so great it just felt so liberating um yeah it's you know I'm quite emotional thinking about it really (laughs) no what can you imagine and I think it you know and it breaks down those stereotypes that sort of you know like you know the black people can only occupy the sort of um the sprinting realm or you know like um you know and I think as well it's um and it's sad because I think you know and as you sort of spoke about um Ahmed Arbery and you know it's sort of in some ways we've sort of come so far and in others we've not gone anywhere at all you know and I remember um I went to Atlanta on holiday in 2019 and again when I booked it you know my sister said to me and I think this is the thing that this is the thing that almost becomes a bit normalized actually you book holidays and you have sort of peers or family <laughs> saying what, is, what are you doing going there and my sister said you know what are you doing going there and I was thinking you know what What's he talking about? There's loads of black people in Atlanta and, um, you know, and it'll be fine. And, you know, and it was, and I had a great time and I was going to, um, you know, the Civil Rights Museum and going on a Martin Luther King tour. And, you know, and you're sort of looking at these things as sort of being features of our past, you know, and then you sort of fast forward. And, you know, whilst when I was in Atlanta, I was going out on runs. You know, I was like, I was traveling alone. I was running mm. by myself, you know, so I was going out on runs. Um, and then you sort of fast forward, you know, and you have the murder of this young man just, you know, doing something so innocuous as running. And, yeah. you know, and, and then it really brings it home, you know, because I suppose I was there and I was in the museum and I'm looking at these things in sort of past tense and actually look how far we've come and then it's just really sobering when um, you see something like that and actually you know the reality is that could be you you know that that's sort of what what also goes through your mind as well and that's that's you've hit the nail on the head you know and I think that um you know, I think that this is this is you know we were we were on the we were having a Zoom call earlier with a, a brand partner, um, and we were talking about you know a, a project that we've been working on and and really kind of you know advising them in terms of the you know racist kind of ignorant comments which we know they will get about that which we are seeking to do, which is to in, increase diversity in trail running, and 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 we were. We were trying to, well, we were explaining, I think, very succinctly that, you know, it doesn't take much for those people out there who want to negate what it is that we want to do, which is to bring more black people to the trails. And it doesn't take much to make them want to dismiss us. Sometimes it's just the name black. It's the word black, you know, it's, you know, we get hit with, oh, well, you know, what? why isn't there a white trail runners, for example? And what we say is, well, actually, trail running is majority white. It is white trail runners, hence the reason why we have created Black Trail Runners as a space and a community and campaigning group. So I think that, you know, I think it's really some really important points that you've raised there in terms of what we classify as norm and then when these things happen in the world or we'll see something on Instagram like Dora's, you know, ultra black running race. And we think actually we've got so used to a white norm 
that actually we forget that this is what it is like to have a more diverse and inclusive running community. Um, and it's beautiful and it's joyful. And I've never been to a race, whereas the pre-race warm-up, people are skanking and dancing and there's <laughs> loud, loud music and the smells of the food, you know, all of those, all of those things that bring us joy in our culture and that we're, I don't know, known for whatever it is, but it it was all there in magnificent multicolor, multicultural glory. And and I really left there thinking this is how, you know, this is how it should be. And 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 you know, and you, and therefore that drives your passion on to make change. So you must mm. come to we must get together at the next one because there will be more. Definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely. I and there's, there's a question which we, I think we ask pretty much all of our guests, uh, which is, you know, we've set up Black Trail Runners to increase the participation and inclusion and representation of black people in trail running. And, uh, you know, you're working in a space which is, you know, is trying to uh, drive change, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, our attitude to food, if you like. Um, so, you know, what advice would you give us to, you know, to, to help us in our work towards getting more black people on the trails? I mean, I think it's a lot of what you're already doing. I think people need to know that space is a safe forum. You know, I think actually, you know, sort of, okay, so the reason why, you know, you know, like you say, Sabrina, you know, you don't need to have white trail runners because, you know, um, the space is already occupied by white people. There's no question that this space is safe for them, you know. And actually, like yeah. I listed off two holidays, you mm. know, with one destination, um, you know, sort of, you know, which a high number of black people occupying from two separate people. What I had was is essentially asking me, "Are you going to be safe there?" You know, that's what they're asking me. Yeah. You know? These are not yeah. the questions that my white friends have to ask, you know, themselves when they're planning on, <laughs> yeah. you know, when they're planning on going on holiday. These are not really considerations that they have to make. Um, so, no, I, so yeah. I think there's something that, you know, people need to feel like the space is for them. They need to feel like, you know, that they belong, that it's safe. Um, you know, and that, that, that doesn't just have to be sort of like, you know, I'm not just talking about safety in terms of physicality, but, you know, like, like when you're sort of saying, actually, you know, there's, you know, there's food there, you know, that might be sort of tapping into people's traditions, you know, that sort of feels like that gives off the feel that you're going to be sort of emotionally and psychologically held, you know, so, yeah. so you need to have sort of areas in which you can feel safe in, you know, being able to sort of, to speak up and share views and, you know, whatever the conversation may be as well, because um, it's difficult to do that when you're the person alone. You yeah, know, yeah. it's really sort of, it's really difficult to do that. So I guess, um, yeah, so I think there needs to be sort of safety, there needs to be a sense of belonging, Um and, you know, and I guess it's inspiring, isn't it? I think sort of it's inspirational when you see, um, 
other people there and you know and I think we've sort of spoken throughout actually about sort of the power of relationship as well you know it's sort of my sister that got me into running it was her that persuaded me to sign up for a marathon you know like when I've done my um actually another sister when I got into running she used to come bless her and she used to be uh you know she's not a runner but she used to be at every sort of race that I signed up to like cheering me on and you know and my niece has been there sort of on um on every ultra race I've done now and sort of being there supportive. And I, so I think there's something about sort of occupying space, people feeling um, belonging, people feeling that they're welcome. And actually, you know, I, I do also sort of feel that there's a role for white peers in facilitating that as yeah. well, you know. So, um yeah, that has so, to be, right? Because they, they occupy be. the space right Absolutely. now. Yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, so I think there has to be these sort of, there has to be these conversations, there has to be these sort of considerations and, you know, because I, because I think we need sort of, um, we need role models as well, don't we? You know, like, you know, we need sort of people that we can take inspiration from, like, um I saw actually that you guys interviewed um, Ruth Parkinson. And yeah. 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 And I watched his documentary on BBC, um, you know, and though, you know, and that is sort of so inspirational. And, you know, and actually I heard him on, I think it's on Runner's World podcast. And I mean, not just heard him, yeah. I went sort of looking for him on the podcast and, you know, and reached out to him <laughs> on Instagram because I think, you know, because these things are so few and far between, aren't they? That, um, yeah. You know, that actually, so, you know, you are going to sort of reach out to uh, to peers, to people that are doing something that perhaps that you would want to do. And, you know, and, you know, we've spoken about so many benefits of um, of running as well that, you know, that, that sort of thing. People need to feel like they've got a buy-in as well, don't know, that they're going to benefit from it in some way, that there's something to be gained. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's interesting, actually, because I think, I think that Reese, I have reached out to him, but I think at the weekend, or certainly at the end of last week, he was traveling to Wales to take part in an ultramarathon. Um, nothing he hasn't said, as far as I know, unless I've missed it, anything on his Instagram about how he did. But I, I think it was, it was filmed for like the part two of that documentary. So we need to have a bit of a catch up with him in terms of how training went and kind of how that event went. Um, but I'm conscious of your time and I don't want to finish this conversation with you without talking or asking you a question about the thing that you're going to be going to watch in 24 <laughs> minutes. Love Island UK. I too am a big fan. First question, who's your favourite couple? Oh, okay. I'm just going to say it without thinking. Toby and Chloe. Oh, I'm... mine too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just got goosebumps. I, I feel like they've been on a journey. I've been on the journey with them. You know, I was disappointed. You know, I was disappointed in Toby with, you know, the whole cat yeah. situation again and how he treated Chloe. But... I don't know. I just don't think sort of feels like really, you know, like I sort of just feel like he's redeemed himself. There's just something I sort of believe in with those two, you know, and and with Toby as well. Because I think the one thing about Toby, even though he has made mistakes, 
I think he's very honest about sort of um, absolutely. You know, yes. sort of what his skills are, what he needs to work on, you know, and I think, and actually he's sort of, you know, I think he's as honest as what any of us can be, really, you know. So, yeah, yeah. so I'm rooting it's for those funny. two. I was listening to something today because I was initially, oh, Tony, uh, oh, Toby, and for any view, any listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, Love Island. Including, is, including me. Including Sunny <laughs> here. Love Island is a reality stroke kind of staged, which disappointed me slightly when I heard about that reality show all about single guys, single girls who over the period of, I think, around about five weeks, try and find love on an island. It's been syndicated around the world. So there's a Love Island USA, Love Island Australia. But we're just getting to the end now, like the final week coming up of Love Island UK. I absolutely agree with you, Laura. Honestly, it's Toby and Chloe. I never thought I would be here saying I want them to win £50,000. But again, today I listened to something on the radio and it said... So many people are going to Toby and Chloe because they seem like the most authentic, had their ups and downs, and that Toby actually went into Love Island almost like he didn't know what it was about, like it was like the first episode of Big Brother. So he's gone through this massive journey because he didn't think he was doing anything wrong, like going from going from Kaz to Chloe to whoever it was in Gatsby back to <laughs> Chloe, he's just been a normal young lad that is kind of flying by the seat of his pants and being led by all, all parts of his body, but I think now his heart with <laughs> Chloe, because I think he's really into her. Um, and I would just love, I think out of all of them, I would just love to see them win. I would. I think there's something sort of, I think individually, there's something very honest and refreshing, you know, because again, actually, I wasn't really a fan of Chloe at the beginning, but I think there's something no. very honest and refreshing. And so I think there's sort of something you buy into, because I think when Toby now says, I really like Chloe, you believe him, because when he's not, yes. when he's not been sure, he said, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. you know, I really like Teddy, and I do like Faye. But I can't help it. I do sort of feel like, I just feel like, I just want to say, Teddy, you can do better. Like, you've got to come out of this yeah. now, I feel like. And he's, and he's yeah. just, I, I like fate individually, like, but I just, I don't know. There's something sort of uncomfortable there because I just sort of feel, you know, she has clearly got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that she, a lot of issues and a lot of stuff she's working on. And, you know, and these things are edited so you want to buy into the love story. But That's the way it. in which she sort of spoke to Teddy, I just sort of thought it was yeah. like, it's tittering on abuse, you know, and I just sort of it yeah. feels like there's yeah. an abusive dynamic being created there. I think um, so. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. And I think certainly after really juicy episodes of Love Island, um, I, I go to Twitter and it's it's always t- trending. But obviously last Friday night when Faye totally kicked off after the movie night, it was such, you know, I'm really into kind of human dynamics. And, and I guess that I've always been a bit of a reality TV show fan for that. But it was such uncomfortable viewing, watching I don't know whether the dynamics at play in terms of the verbal abuse gaslighting that was happening with Faye and Teddy and Teddy Mm. almost just 
allowing that to take place and 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 other people enabling that behavior i think i think it was quite compulsive but very very uncomfortable viewing for so many thousands of us that watch it Sunny, I'm really aware that you're thinking, right, come on, come on now, ladies, let's move on. And we're thinking, we're thinking, we've got, we've got 17 minutes to go until the next Sorry. episode. Sorry, I, I, I'd entirely tuned out there. I have no idea what's going on. Um, let, let, let me bring this back to something approaching the actual subject of our podcast here. So, um, um, Laura, what's your next running event? What, what, got anything, anything lined up? I do, yeah. So I, um, my next big event that's actually booked is I am doing, um, Run for Love. It's a, um, six day, 260 kilometers in Croatia in May 2022. It's with, um, a company called Tribe to fundraise to sort of bring awareness and, um, you know, sort of campaigning to end human trafficking and um, exploitation. So that's sort of, that's a big event. And no doubt there will be sort of ultra races booked between now and then, a sort of preparation races um but yeah i guess my sort of main focus for now is concentrating on my physio exercises doing what i can and you know and i want to be back running asap really that that sounds awesome that's six days croatia that, six days yeah i don't know much i don't know much about croatia but i'm guessing that Croatia's not flat so no um, no 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 <laughs> no so, yeah so I think as well I think sort of between now and then there'll definitely be some um they definitely get some trail ultras definitely doing some um hiking as well where I can and yeah so that'll be good well you you and I will have to uh have a have another jaunt around the trails of harrow uh, at some point well yeah definitely <laughs> we will definitely we will and um yeah because you're good at finding all those hills so we definitely need to um get running <laughs> and yeah, we'd uh, i'd be more than happy definitely. to welcome you down here to the uh, southwest and the cotswolds to sample some of the hills around here as well if you ever you fancy a fancy a weekend away laura Sabrina would absolutely love that. Be careful what you. Um, I hey, you, you know what? I, I, I am. I am. It is a honest invitation. I yeah. I I. It, there's there's a lot of beautiful views around here. Lots of hills for the for the elevation practice for Croatia. So hit me up. I'm more than happy to host you. Not a problem. Oh, definitely. Let's do it. As soon as I'm back in a uh, regular training program, yeah, yeah, I'm coming down and we can talk all things Love Island. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I might might give that one a miss. But um, finally, uh, Laura, just uh, to let our listeners know, so where, where can people follow your journey online? So um, probably the easiest place to find me is on Instagram. So I'm on Instagram at reduction underscore Raider and the number one. So Raider as in R-A-I-D-E-R. 
Um, but I think if I had my time over, I would have it as radar and be like R A D A R. But <laughs> anyway, it's reduction <laughs> underscore radar, the number one. Um, and yeah, and then basically on my Instagram, you can see my link tree, and then that will get you to my blog. It'll get you to the podcast. Um, I mean, the easiest way to find a podcast is just type All Right Raiders into Apple or Spotify or Google, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Fantastic. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and uh, and to hear about um, you know what you're doing. Uh, so. You know, even even the bit about Love Island, uh, I enjoyed. Um, so, um, yeah. So it's been it's been fantastic to to have you on, and um, I very much look forward to um, you know hopefully getting to run with you uh, soon, uh, and Definitely. certainly to. Uh, following your uh trip to croatia next year that sounds sounds amazing and um, thanks so much and, for having me on i've absolutely loved it yeah and i think you know hopefully uh you know hearing stuff like this will make people uh reconsider you know their relationship with food and their attitude towards food and just just think about what you know what they could do differently because i think um it's clearly something which is a, a major issue for uh, you know for us in this country and and in the world at large, really. Uh, and you know when we combine that with issues to do with climate change, which is you know, increasingly becoming uh, significant, um, you know that's it's clearly wrapped up in that. So um, you know it's not something that we can ignore at all. Uh, so yeah fantastic thank you very much and it's been a real pleasure to have you on amazing thank you both thank you for joining us at the checkpoint if you've enjoyed this conversation please subscribe and share online also please remember to leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it really helps our podcast to grow your support helps make this podcast possible. Remember, if you have any questions, get in touch with us via our Instagram page at Black Trail Runners, or if you want to join our community, please search Facebook for Black Trail Runners and connect with us.